Good day, everyone, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. This week's episode of the podcast is brought to you by our friends at Cycle Oregon. I introduced you to them last week talking about their exciting gravel weekend they had planned in May. And wouldn't you know it? Boom, pandemic. The guys up at Cycle Oregon are super bummed, but they're delaying this event until October, which is definitely the right thing to do. I know all event organizers all over the world are struggling with what to do and where to get some time slots. Fortunately, as you guys know, Oregon is such a great place to ride in the fall. October is going to be a real neat time there in the Thai Valley, and I'm looking forward to the event. So go check out cycleoregon.com. And if you're interested in information, make sure to put TGR in your registration. I believe there's a team field or otherwise a note field where you can put TGR just to let them know that you heard about it first here at the Gravel Ride. And definitely support them and all the other event organizers who are rejiggling their calendar to make sure that when it's safe to go out, when it's safe to congregate in groups, we have awesome events to go look forward to. I don't know about you guys, but this pandemic has forced me to really think about what my calendar is going to look like. A lot of great events in the first half of the year have been postponed and perhaps they'll come back later in the year, but uh, it's definitely going to be a fun filled fall. I'm super optimistic and looking forward to it. I know, like me, everybody's struggling through this hard time. So let's just band together. Let's do what we can. Let's be kind to one another. Let's reach out to each other online. Let's keep those solo rides going so we can stay fit. And, uh, you know, we'll be back. Everybody's going to be back. So keep in mind that I record these podcasts maybe a couple months in advance. So if any of the content seems to be inappropriate, like me calling for a group ride or anything like that, just keep in mind that the intros are more present, but the body of the recording is done typically a month or so in arrears. So again, forgive any gaffes from that perspective. I'm super stoked on this episode, as with most episodes. I really wanted to revisit our Gravel Bike 101 episode we did early on in the podcast, because I think it's just a great starting point for uh, new riders, as well as riders who have been around for a while and are thinking about their equipment in different ways as they've learned how to ride and chosen the terrain that they've fallen in love with. I've asked my friend Randall, co-founder of Thesis Bikes out of San Francisco to join the podcast. And he actually had me over. Again, this was before the pandemic. So I was over at Thesis World Headquarters over there in San Francisco and just enjoyed the conversation. It was a lot of fun to catch up with a buddy that I've been riding with now for, for a year plus. The Thesis Bike is available at thesis.bike. They've got some deals going over there right now. So hop on over and check out what they're doing and send Randall and the team a note. They definitely like to interact with the community. Um, so feel free to reach out with any questions about their bike and anything that's come up in relation to this podcast and the Gravel Bike 101. I'm here for you as always, um, but I'm sure Randall would be game to answer any questions over social media or directly over email. So apologies for the long intro. Thanks again to our sponsor, Cycle Oregon, for stepping up for this episode and a few others. We look forward to seeing you in the fall with some of your great events. And with that, let's dive right into Gravel Bike 101. All right, Randall, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's nice to be back. I appreciate you having me in your home and where you work a lot for Thesis. It's a joy to be here. Thesis uh, Global Headquarters, yeah, virtual company. Yeah, exactly. So for a while, I know on our bike rides, I've been talking to you about my desire to kind of take a step back and do another Gravel Bike 101 episode. Mm. I did one back in 2018 with the goal of, you know, if you were thinking about getting into the sport, what do you need to think about? And I realized... I was in a bike shop. We kind of probably stepped ahead of where we should have even started because a lot of people will stumble upon this podcast and just be asking themselves the question, is gravel cycling for me? So yeah. I, I thought it'd be great to just have a conversation about that today. Sure. And and I think the answer to that question uh, really depends on where you're coming from, right? So some of us are coming, you know, I, I was a former mountain biker, you know, racer. I did, you know, I trained a lot on the road. So I'm already kind of a dyed in the wool cyclist. Um, you know, this is, this is my, what I do. It's my tribe. 
Uh, but then you have other people who are like getting into this. Maybe this is like their first serious bike, right? They maybe they had a, a bike in college. Maybe they have like a you know a, a commuter or something like that, and they see their friends having fun. And so I think um, in terms of like how to think about a gravel bike, well, for the people who already have a stable, maybe they're thinking about this as their and as an N plus one machine. And by that I mean like the optimal bikes. Uh, for for cyclists is often said to be n plus one. I need one more. Um, I'm not an adherent to that philosophy, but but it's the idea of like having a dedicated machine for going out and on these long rambling rides on a mix of road and dirt and and so on, being able to get lost and have adventures. Um, the other philosophy, which is kind of my my jam, um, is you know n minus one or maybe even n minus two or n minus three if you have that stable. So think of a gravel bike and gravel riding is like. You have a bike that can do all the things, right? It's a it's a really good, say, endurance road bike. Uh, if you put some slicks on it, uh, you put some fat 650Bs. It's a borderline mountain bike. You put a dropper and a flare bar on there. Like you're you're you have a better mountain bike than you know the the people who invented mountain biking not not far from here. Uh, okay. So you know this idea of like having a machine where you can go out on a ride and on the road and be like, huh, I wonder where that trail goes. And then just dive into it and explore, uh, or somebody is is hosting, you know, a mixed terrain ride, and you just you have the right machine for a variety of different experiences. Uh, the last one being like adventure, like like travel, bike packing, touring. Uh, these bikes generally have, you know, oftentimes have accommodations uh, for, you know, you put bag systems on and, and things like this, and you can really get out there. So I'm going to take a step back from my sister, who's constantly asking me like what the heck is this that you do? Yeah. She knows mountain bikes and she knows the Tour de France. <laughs> and so what I've said to her is it's a, a drop handlebar bike mm. that you can ride off road. So it kind of looks like a road bike to many people, but it's actually capable and has a lot of design features that we can get into later that allow it to go anywhere on road or off road. It can. Yeah. And there's kind of, there's a spectrum, right? You have machines that are you know, almost like cross bikes in terms of like more limited tire clearance and maybe the, the geo is, is uh, uh, a little bit more aggressive or something. Uh, and then you have others that are essentially drop bar mountain bikes, right? And so the former is not going to be as capable on dirt. The, uh, the latter is going to be kind of a pig on the road uh, and it's, it, the, the steering will be a bit slower. And they're great for that dedicated purpose. But um, yeah, in terms of like being able to go out and have this a wide variety of adventures, you know, you want to be kind of mindful of of getting a machine that'll cover cover all the bases. And I think that that's a gravel bike at its best is one that can do all the things. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that's an interesting part of this exploding sector of the cycling industry is mm. that people are trying to figure out, well, what's my entry point? Is it a bike that? can do all these things, or is it a bike that does one end of the spectrum better than others? And, you know, I often talk about road plus bikes as being sort of the basic entry point. If you have, hmm. you know, if you're on the roady side of the market, you're like, okay, now I can run a, a 32C tire in addition to my 25 or my 28 when I'm on the road. And when I'm running that 32C, I can go on a dirt road and feel comfortable. Well, this really gets down to like, you know, Let's get down to the brass tacks of like what is what is the difference between all these different bikes? You have like road bikes, and you have you know climbing road bikes, and aero road bikes, and endurance road bikes, and you have cross bikes, and you have gravel bikes, you have uh, you know uh, bike packing and touring rigs, and so on. And you know there's this idea that like every one of these is kind of purpose built for that experience. Uh, but we've had some key enabling technologies of late. Uh, one of which being like tubeless tires, right? Run on wide rims. Um, another being, you know, dropper posts. Uh, you know, the trend towards slightly flared bars, uh, and then materials like carbon fiber make it so that you can have a machine that's lightweight. Um, you can have a machine that is, you know, very capable off-road. Because uh, oh, the last one being uh, disc brakes, of course. Um, uh, you know, you can swap between wheel sets to have like a road or a dirt experience if you want to go to the extremes. And then with something like a dropper, you know, you, you're getting into mountain bike territory without suspension, 
because you're you're able to shift your weight back and keep your front wheel light, let it roll and kind of sail over terrain, and your your butt's off the back, and the bike's dancing out around, you know underneath you as your legs are acting as suspension. And like the capability of something like that is well into cross country territory. Yeah. Yeah. So let me I'm gonna I'm gonna step back for my sister's benefit again <laughs> and say. Why do we have tubeless tires? Okay, we used to have oh. tubes and tires, and we still do on plenty of bikes. Yeah. But tubes required us to run higher air pressure to avoid pinch flats. Yep. And probably many other reasons that I won't drill into. Yeah. Now we have just the tire with some sealant inside mm-hmm. that we pump up, and we can run lower tire pressure, which gives us, we can talk about what it will do off-road, but at, at, at sort of a simple level, it, it allows us to have a more comfortably comfortable riding tire. And better rolling resistance and similar or potentially even slightly lighter system weight. Um, it's actually benefits all around. Um, the, you know, there's, so tubeless tires, you, like the, one of the big risks that you have, especially as you go off-road is pinch flats. So basically, you know, you, you hit a bump, pinches the tube between the ground and the rim, and you get a little snake bike, snake bite uh, sort of uh, pattern on the tube. Um, that goes away with tubeless. Um, the, you know, uh, the manufacturing tolerances available within the bike industry have improved significantly and, you know, tire construction and all that stuff, that makes it so that you can get the tight tolerances needed for a tubeless system. Uh, the advent of like sealants and so on make it so that not only do you like seal uh, the casing properly, but if you get a little puncture, there's a good chance it's going to hold up. And so there's just, it's all benefit. Like the only downside may be road. Some people will say like, oh, like tubeless road, it's, it's a pain in the butt. It's, it, you know, the industry hasn't properly settled on standards and so on. That is actually mostly a problem with narrow rims and tires. And if you run wide rims in a 28 plus road tire, your pressures are low enough where a lot of the problems associated with high pressure systems goes away. So if you're thinking tubeless, like tubeless is an essential enabling technology of these experiences. Go tubeless, you'll, you won't look back. Uh, and that, that's all. Uh, and when you walk into the bike shop or you're shopping online, it's not going to look any different. It's just a wheel with a tire on it. If you're yeah. in the, I'm buying my first bike or my first gravel bike. So don't stress about that. But when someone says tubeless, two thumbs up from everybody here. It's super important to your enjoyment for a lot of different reasons. Oh, yeah. The second thing you mentioned that may be different looking than somebody's previous shopping experience with bikes are these disc brakes. And the only thing really you need to know about disc brakes is they stop a hell of a lot better than caliper brakes or anything that preceded it. And they're really a must have for going off road. Yeah. And, and of course, like people often, uh, as, as you cited there, will cite the power of a disc brake as the primary benefit. A good caliper brake in the dry has plenty of braking force, right? Um, but it's the, the consistency of braking, like in the wet, in the dirt and so on. Um, you're not grinding down your rims. So the rims are going to hold up. It changes rim construction as well. So you can have lighter, stiffer, stronger, and not have to dissipate heat. Um, but then also modulation. So like the little, like, especially on dirt, you know, the difference between braking traction and not braking traction can be a tiny amount of force at the lever. And so being able to like trans, you know, at the end of the day, like a human on a bike is a cyborg, right? And you're trying to create this, this melding of, of human and machine such that, you know, it's an extension of, of, of the animal on, on the machine. And so like that, that modulation, I think is, is actually arguably one of the greatest benefits uh, the last one being, and this one's quite critical for gravel, is you're no longer dependent on your rim and ti- tire combo. Like your rim and tire combo don't um, affect your uh, your brake caliper clearance because you're not squeezing at the rim. You're doing it at at the rotor, and so you can swap wheels. You can have you know a road set with with a skinny tire, skinny slick, and you can have a big fat mountain bike tire on your other set. And it's going to grab at the same point, and so that that is where you see like 650Bs come in. Um, you're not going to find a caliper that breaks well at the rim that can fit around a 40 mil tire, anyways. Like you know, cross bikes are notoriously they squeal and, and so on. So that that other component of like being able to fit a variety of different wheel tire packages too is kind of another key component that I think was essential in um, this big shift, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So when you go in the bike shop, you're going to see something drop handlebars, a little bit knobbier tire than potentially you've seen on a road bike yeah. in your past shopping experience. You're also going to see a wide variety of frame materials. So anybody who's shopping for a bike, like every other sector of the sport, you've got steel bikes, you've got aluminum bikes, you've got titanium bikes, and you've got carbon fiber bikes. Yeah. And we don't need to drill into the minutiae around these different materials because that's probably another podcast. You don't want to go deep nerd on this one? <laughs> I don't want to go deep nerd <laughs> on it. But let's just put it out there that these, you know, in general camps, these materials are going to have... Um, different feels, different weights, and different attributes, right? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I actually just did a, a whole project uh, researching, um, you know, titanium. It got deep in the weeds, uh, and, and, you know, I was at Specialized when they were doing smart well with the aluminum. Um, there's some ideas, there's some misconceptions around, say, aluminum being really stiff. Um, that was the case back in the day when, I'm probably going in the weeds, aren't I? Um, <laughs> uh, think of it this way. Uh, if as far as a material that gives you really uh, impressive stiffness to weight, that's highly tunable for you know damping and various other characteristics you want uh, on the bike, um, you, you just can't beat carbon. Like it is just a superior material. And I know that you know uh, tie and and um, steel have their acolytes, and um, I think that those bikes are beautiful. They have their merits. Um, it's great for custom because you can just miter tubes and, and, and take them together pretty easily. Um, but as far as like, if you're, if you're in the kind of like 3K plus range, um, you know, a carbon frame uh, has a lot of benefits, especially for this experience where, you know, the, uh, uh, you, you otherwise might end, well, there's like, uh, it's kind of, maybe we cut this part out because I'm kind of going into the weeds already. You know, it's okay, Randall, you know, we're, we're going to, I think we're going to, we're going to go in the weeds and we're going to pull back. I think at a high level, again, if you're a new athlete shopping for a bike, if this is your, your sort of first proper adventure bicycle, you're going to have some sort of basic things that you're going to get in front of. So, so here's maybe a good way to frame this. If you're on a budget, right? And you know your budget's like fifteen hundred bucks. If there's a fifteen hundred dollar gravel bike out there, it probably is not going to have the best components because a lot of the money went into the frame. And you can think, well, it's upgradable and so on. Well, by the time you upgrade all those components, it's like turn, you know, getting a, a Civic and boosting it, and then you fix the suspension, and you've all of a sudden spent Porsche money, but you still have a Civic. Uh, but if you if you if you're just getting into it, you're on a budget, steel and aluminum, really hard to beat. Uh, you can find really well thought out steel and aluminum frames uh, and chassis that will perform well and kind of get you into the sport. And some of the better uh, aluminum ones in particular perform at a, a rather high level. Uh, again, using like, you know, the Cannondale uh, aluminum road bikes and the, the specialized, uh, uh, you know, smart weld bikes as an example of aluminum that performs like carbon. But at, at the top of the heap, carbon for sure. Yeah. And I know we'll get some emails and some texts about titanium, which I'm a big fan of. I, I love the material. It's a different ballpark. And I think when you're ready for titanium, you will have gone through that thought process if it's ultimately the material that makes sense for you. Well, what it comes down to is titanium specifically, um, you just can't accomplish the bottom bracket stiffness with titanium that you can with carbon fiber or even aluminum, uh, just because of the way the, the limitations on tube shaping and you know the, how much space you have to weld things at the the bottom bracket juncture and so on. So that's probably the biggest compromise that you have with titanium is that bottom bracket stiffness. But otherwise, like yeah, they're beautiful and you can you can have a beautiful machine yeah. uh, with that material. The other thing that I learned personally was that you know, it's hard to make the right choice right when you get into this sport. So I, I was riding a Niner, aluminum Niner, which was my first gravel bike, which was fully capable, but it had cable actuated brakes. Mm -hmm. And I think it could max out at about a 36 or a 38. Yeah. And it turned out for me, you know how I ride, like it just wasn't matching yeah the aggression, if you if you will, of my, my descending that I wanted to explore with the gravel bike. Yeah. And I think that's that is, you know, one of those things that I do encourage people to really think about is what tires will your bicycle run? Because it can be limiting and you need to think about what your strengths are, what your concerns are 
as you're coming into the sport. I think our, our group ride this last weekend was illustrative because I was talking to some women from the Santa Rosa area who were incredible athletes, great climbers, and a lot of fun to ride with. But when we got on the hairball descents, yeah. you know, they had the narrower tires, and I feel like it was holding them back a little bit. Although to their credit, they powered through every section we threw at them. Oh, they were crushing it, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, there's really no reason <clears throat> at this point, if you're buying a new bike to buy something that doesn't take 650Bs. Like, I, I just think that's, uh, if you, even if you're thinking that you're going to be riding it more kind of endurance road or more say like uh, a Belgian waffle ride, people show up on, you know, t 32 mil slicks, right? Even if that's going to be more your jam, you're going to reach a point where you want to hit something a little bit gnarlier and you're going to be tire limited. And, you know, I've ridden 700 by 40. Um, there are people who say like 700 by 40 is, you know, faster or 700 C's are going to be faster. They're thinking about, you know, 290 mountain bikes and so on. But inevitably you have compromises with that. Um, well, one, it's not necessarily faster because if the terrain is undulating and you have lots of bumps and so on, that's all you know, uh, horizontal energy that you put in by pedaling that's getting dissipated as vertical energy, basically you getting bounced around on the bike. And so a big fat tire will address that. Um, but then also like you, you just have so much more uh, ability to go in like, you know, I wonder if I can ride that, right? Big fat tire, uh, you're gonna have a much better chance of riding it and you're gonna have less issues with, you know, cracking rims and things like this. Cause you get, you know, you're underbiked on terrain that really demands a, a more capable machine. Yeah. I'm a broken record, obviously when it comes <laughs> to 650 being wide tires, but that's my jam. Yeah. I think. I could be wrong, but I suspect that most bikes out there get specced with 700C wheels. What's your sense on that? I think it's, I think it's great to have a 700C set so that you can put your road slicks on them. Um, and as long as the frame fits 650B, you'll still be able to go out and have properly rowdy fun. But don't you, don't you get the sense that most shops you see, most bikes you see in a bike shop or advertised start with 700C as a starting point? Uh, a lot of them, yeah. Yeah, that's that's and just a sense I have. And and to your point, like you know, we've both ridden 700C wheels plenty around here in Marin, and I do spend a fair amount of time on 700 by 40. But I remember going out to SPT Gravel this year and the guys at Panaracer were like, oh, you should ride a, like a 32. And I was like, oh my God, I, like, I can't even imagine putting that on my gravel bike. That said, for that particular course, it would have been fine for me. But with the 40s, I did find as usual, I was just rolling by people on the descents, having the wider tire. And, and even on the, the small road sections on that course, the actual paved road sections, I didn't really feel like 40 was holding me back in any way. Well, the, so, so my take on this is that, you know, the, the folks who are trying to like run the minimal tire on the course, you know, if we're talking racers, uh, that whole mindset is going to go the way of, you know, the 700 by 23 roadie you know, mindset where it's like, I need a tire that feels, you know, that's as hard as possible. I'm going to, I'm going to do 700 by 23. I'm going to run it at 120 PSI and I'm going to feel everything. And that's going to make me feel fast. And that probably means I'm actually going faster. Well, no, you're, the rolling resistance is higher. There's no aerodynamic ben benefit, obviously, because the tire yeah. shape is the same. You're literally just wasting energy and beating the hell out of your body. Uh, so I think that the gravel scene is going to migrate much more towards fat 650Bs, uh, unless you're doing like hard packed dirt fire roads, uh, you know, the fatter 650Bs are the way to go. And you can just, you know, again, you're out on that dirt fire road. Where does that single track go? That, that is a, a wonderful part of this experience. Yeah, and I don't, we won't, probably won't drill too far into the notion of suspension and the mm. many ways in which that gets into a bike. But tire volume is suspension. suspension. Don't get it wrong. Don't get it twisted, people. Well, and it's it's suspension that is extremely efficient, right? It's yeah. not sapping energy. Um, and if you, you know, what's beautiful too is like, you, you know, let's say your trailhead is an hour away. Like I ride up, you know, from San Francisco to Fairfax and do Tamarancho, right? It's probably yeah. mountain bike trail. Well, I'll run a few a few PSI higher, PSI higher on the way there, and then drop it a little bit, and then I'm, you know, getting shreddy on the single track. Yeah, it's, it's a great time. It's, it's highly tunable suspension. Yeah, yeah. One knob tuning, right, right yeah, from your tire yeah, yeah. valve. 
<laughs> okay, so there's, I mean, there's a few things for people to think about. We're getting people stoked on gravel. We encourage you to kind of look at whatever your bike budget is. Look at a bike that can run both 700 and 650B yeah. wheel sets. If you have the option of starting out with 650B, I think it gives you this one all the benefits we've just been talking about, but then a, a margin of safety as a newer rider and a margin of comfort that you're not going to get in 700 C wheel sets. That, that said, you know, if you fall in love with a 700 C wheel set bike, go for it. Like hopefully it can go at least out to a 40. As Randall said, I think the evidence is clear that tire manufacturers are going bigger and bigger, even on the 700 C size yeah. at the end of the day. Um, but these, you know, there's a couple things to, to think about around these bikes. The other big thing to think about, I think, is just where you live. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my bias always comes through being someone who rides what are considered more mountain bikey type terrain with my bike. So my yeah. setup tends that way. But I, I always try to take a step back and think, well, people in the Midwest or on the East Coast, they're talking about plenty of different terrain and the mountain states, again, different terrain. That's going to play a role in what bike's going to make sense for you. Well, I I would say to a degree, um, I think it actually has more to do with like what wheel tire package makes the most sense for your specific terrain. But in terms of the bike itself, um, the basic principle of like make sure it fits 650Bs so that you always have that ability. I, I don't, there's really no downside to that. It doesn't affect geometry. There's no negative aspect of accommodating that tire. Um, and, you know, I've ridden all over the country. I'm from the Boston area. Um, and, you know, if with my setup, like uh, the tires, you know, I got a byway in the front and a venture in the rear. So like a file, uh, a semi-slick in the rear um, and in a uh, file tread up front. I'm efficient on the road. Uh, out in Boston, like I would road ride to a local mountain bike um, group ride. And I was fast on the road and then I could ride with those those folks and you know i was a little bit under bites but i had a great time and then i can ride back and and uh you know there's really like the rolling efficiency is there with these tires and, and the tire construction and so on so i still think like get a machine that is more capable than you think you need it to be uh, because you'll be bummed out when there are rides that you can't do because your machine is just not up to it yeah i've been surprised with with my gravel bikes just the the idea that as you said you can roll up to a group ride on the road yeah. and hang in there in a way that you maybe wouldn't think. You're like, I've got this sort of burly machine, but the reality is it's not, these are these are kissing cousins from the road bikes. They're not that far off. Well, let's, let's talk about the actual differences, right? So, I mean, with the advent of uh, hydraulic disc brakes uh, for drop bar bikes, right? So the braking, you know, braking systems are the same. Um, you know, the geometries, you can have there are some gravel bikes that are you know really long and they're um and and more biased towards stability some of them are even borderline drop bar mountain bikes but you can get a gravel bike that has an endurance road geo like there's this overlapping point between you know endurance road and cyclocross and you know shreddy gravel riding um, there's that sweet spot where you have a machine that depending on the tires you put on it and how you you know, maybe maybe how aggressively you set up your handlebar, you can have uh, different experiences. Yeah, and that's I mean that's the beauty of these things. I mean we've talked online on a number of uh, sorry offline on a number of occasions just about how put the road wheel set on this thing's a road sled. You can hit the group ride; it's all good. Put a sort of tire setup that you just described. You can ride 20 miles of pavement, go hit a mountain bike trail mm -hmm. system, and ride home get a knobbier setup. You can get pretty extreme with these bikes. Strap some bags on, all of a sudden it's this overnight rig. And yeah. I think that's, it's, it's incredible the versatility of these bikes. Well, it's essentially, so my, my thinking is like, you know, if we could have one bike that really does everything, that would be the ideal. Uh, I think given the current state of the art, you know, a, a gravel bike with two wheel sets, a, a road, and then like a 650p dirt, covers everything from performance road riding to board, you know borderline cross country bike packing uh, light touring and so on uh, cyclocross and then if you if you're into like hardcore trails get a dual suspension shred sled like that is a different experience these bikes are not going to be the most fun when it gets properly chundery and you're doing you know 20% gradients and 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 what have you uh, but honestly I used to be a mountain biker I don't have the time I don't own a car 
Um, you know, I, I don't want to like load up uh, a big machine and drive out to the trails. I want to ride the trails that I have out my door. And I'm, you know, fortunately here we have some really good ones. And the truth is like most people have some good trails, trails near where they live if they know where to look, especially if you can connect them with all these little uh, road sections that are still fun to ride because your your bike is still fun on on those road sections. Yeah, I think for us, you know, in, in Marin, due to kind of trail access issues, we got to get a bunch further north before you get into some r- real fun mountain biking. So these type of bikes, like if you're living in San Francisco, being able to ride across the Golden Gate Bridge efficiently, then hit the dirt in the headlands yeah. is just really nice. I mean, I did that for years on a hardtail 29er, which was fine, but it really wasn't scratching the mountain bike itch, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I just wasn't getting into the, the technical terrain. Then all of a sudden I started riding drop bars and some of those fire road descents are really fun because you can sort of push the limits of technology and technique to try to ride them fast yeah. as if you're on a mountain bike, but without the sort of safety net of a suspension fork. So, so should, uh, should we get on a soapbox about dropper posts? <laughs> I, I'm always game to get on that soapbox. I think I, I occupy, my name's on it next to yours. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so for, for the listener, so a dropper post is simply, it's a telescoping seat post that can be actuated by a lever. It can sink down and get out of the way. So if you've, if you're a road cyclist, You've never probably experienced this to this date. You're, you sort of set up your saddle height at your ideal pedaling sort of leg length, and, and you're good to go. With a dropper post, you've got any number of different um, adjustments you can make from totally slammed out of the way to your perfect pedaling position. Well, and, and here's, you know, this, this, this is actually, I believe, um, you know, after disc brakes and tubeless tires on wide rims like this is an essential enabling technology and i think that dropper posts will be pretty ubiquitous uh before too long on this type of bike you add you know 0.7 pounds right you know ooh, the weight weenies in the group uh, in the crowd might not like that but here's what you get you now set up your saddle at the optimum position for for power output right because you don't have to compromise it to be able to scoot your butt off the back. And then when you get your butt off the back, your your saddle is dropped down. So you really have like a lot of travel in your legs. The bike can be dancing underneath you, going up and down and side to side and using all this body English to to navigate the terrain. And and you know, the bike is is doing all this stuff and your body is taking a relatively smooth line through space. And so you can think of this as like it's suspension without the slop, right? It's not, you don't get this big lumbering beast on the road where, you know, it's bobbing underneath you. Um, but when you want it, like it's there. And, and as you develop the, the skill around it, it, it just radically extends the capability of machine. Yeah. And for, it's interesting, you know, it, I think it's often occupied the space of like, oh, a more advanced or an experienced athlete comes to getting a dropper post. But the reality is it's so good for beginner riders. For, for, yeah. for even riding on the road, for God's sake, yeah. it's, a good, it's a good thing. Because when you get up on those steeps, the last, particularly with the drop bar bikes, you, you sort of, when you're steeply descending, you just feel like you're getting thrown over the handlebar because you are, because that seat is yep. pitching you over the bars. Yeah. But with the dropper post, the saddle sinks right out of the way. You, can, you have such a large pocket underneath your undercarriage mm-hmm. yeah. to kind of maneuver the bike around. So if, if you're going over a little a little rock or something and there's a little bit of a drop off, you just have that room. Yeah, I think, and this is actually worth diving into. So, cause this, this is really where like we get into cross country territory. Um, um, so essentially the dropper, with the dropper, you can shift your hips back. So you kind of like exaggeratedly, you know, uh, point your butt, your, your butt off the back of the bike. The saddle ends up somewhere like around your, your tummy there. Um, you're in the drops up front, which are more accessible because your, your body's lower, right? And those drops give you more leverage, especially if they're flared. Um, you're, because you have more mass over the rear, you can use your rear for speed control. So you have way more braking force because the mass is there. Um, and then, you know, your front wheel is not being asked to both steer and brake. And so it can just roll. You can keep it light. Your upper body stays nice and light. And the, and the front just kind of rolls over stuff. And the bike is kind of rocking back and forth, going over rough terrain. Your legs are absorbing it. And, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you come up to a rut or you come up to like something sketchy, 
you're not going to pitch over the front because your center of mass is so far back and you're you don't you're not breaking so much with the front that uh, just the physics of it are such that you're you're not going to be lawn darting you're not going to be hot, you know high siding over the front of the bike worst case scenario your rear slides that's controllable in fact when you start really becoming one with the bike that's fun you drift it like that's part of the technique yeah i feel like it, i feel like it's exponentially enhancing the yeah. safety and performance experience. And I see yeah. it time and time again. I ride with people who have the same sort of relative skill level as I do, but I can see they're constrained by being pitched yeah. up and over whenever we hit anything technical. Well, and, and another component of this is like, you mentioned on the road, this being a game changer. Uh, there's something really delightful about being in like a bullet tuck with the dropper down with 650 B's all covered in mud and ripping past somebody pedaling down a, on a road bike, yeah. on a narrow road yeah. bike. Um, but another element is uh, mobility, actually. So you have, you know, we, I, I talk to a lot of riders because we, we do, like our bikes are all custom. And it's like, you know, I have trouble getting on and off the bike. Like a dropper post makes it easier to get on and off the bike, yeah. um, and you know that that is significant. That yeah. is that is a meaningful uh, uh, improvement in accessibility. I think a lot of people like when they think about a dropper, it's like, oh, it's either high or low. But the interesting thing is, oh yeah, infinite. once you get used to it, it's, yeah. it's infinite. So I, yeah. you know, I was I was riding with with someone who was out on a demo ride on one of your bikes the other weekend, and I was like, oh, you, did did you drop your post, you know, a centimeter or an inch? for this little traverse we were doing. He's like, no, I didn't, didn't think about it. I was like, well, you should, yeah. because look what happens. Like yeah. I can now corner with a little bit more ease because I just, I have the ability to throw the bike around. We're not, we're not in a max power pedaling situation. So it's yeah. not required that I have it at that perfect height. So I might as well have that room so I can throw the bike around and make it more playful. I mean, the, the way we, that this used to be done in the past uh, in, you know, the bad old days before mount, before uh, dropper posts is, uh, you know, we used to drop the saddle on our mountain bikes three quarters of an inch so that we'd have a little bit more maneuverability. Now you can just, you know, do a little micro adjust. And then when you hit the flat section, you hit the road, you pop it back up and you're in pure power production mode. Yeah. So ab absolutely. I'm going to be sharing with some listeners my age a little bit here by saying like, I actually rocked a height right back in the day, which was this spring system that attached yeah, to yeah, your, uh, yeah. your seat post. So you could throw your quick release, slam it down. And then theoretically it would pop back up. The problem with that is it never popped back up straight like today's dropper posts, which your saddle is always going to remain in the exact right position for you. We live in a golden age of, of equipment. Uh, the fact that you can go out and ride like, like we did the other day and stuff just works and it's fun on all the different terrain, like that's magical. So yeah. 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 Now I hope, I hope our shared enthusiasm for the sport is coming through in this podcast because anybody listening, like these bikes for me, they've have just given me the ability to, to ride wherever and whenever I want. I still do have that full suspension sled that gets ridden rarely if I'm, you know, doing a trip to Tahoe or someplace where I'm going to hit some real nice mountain bike terrain, which I still completely love. Uh -huh. But having a gravel bike in my life has just been reinvigorating for my passion and love of the sport. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, this gets down to, you know, let's get philosophical for a moment. Like, why do we do this? Like, what, what is the purpose? We are adults, right? spending money on this equipment so we can go out and ride in a giant circle. Uh, and, you know, like, what is the point of this activity? And, and for me, it comes down to, like, connection, right? You're on, you know, on a machine, you're connecting with the machine, you're connecting with your body, right? You know, that, that sinking of your, your breathing, your heart rate, your cadence, like, you, you, get in, you can get into a flow state, you can, um, you know, you can focus, you connect with yourself, you connect with the environments, you connect with community. Like you, we had, you know, how many people come out the other day and they were just stoked to be there and, and to meet each other and to go on and have this experience. And like, there were some riders who were really strong and there were some riders who it was their first big gravel group ride. Um, and everybody got what they wanted out of that experience. Um, and I think that that's something that's quite powerful about this particular type of riding and and if we take a bigger step back like this is this is not just this isn't just about cycling this is about like a life well lived
right? I, I, for me, that this is uh, the reason why I personally uh, am so resonant with this experience and why I care so much and why I try to share it is because there's just so much there uh, in terms of like, uh, you know, having an outlet for adults to play like children, to interact without all the, the, the hierarchies and all the way, all the things that we have, um, you know, to kind of, uh, all the identities that we have off the bike. What matters on the bike is that you're on the bike and you're friendly. And, you know, maybe if you're strong, you get a little bit of cred really generally people don't care that much. It's about having an adventure together. Yeah. But I mean, that resonates with me. I've, I've found over the course of my life, I've got this sort of adventure bucket and if I'm not filling it on a weekly basis, I, I tend to get depressed. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, I found that I, as much as I love cycling and as many great road riding experiences that I've had, it's a smaller part of those road rides that fill the, my adventure bucket. Mm -hmm. But when I get off road, um, particularly, I mean, we're so blessed here in the Bay Area that we can go out of our door and we can see no one. We can get on these trails, even though there's such huge population around here, you can have days and mornings where you do a loop and you see virtually no one. I mean, if you live in New York City, you can find this. Yeah. It's, it's harder, it's there. Um, but you can find that section of park at the right time of day that, that you know, you get your, your peace, you get your tranquility. Yeah, same in Washington, D.C., where I, yeah. I started, um, started my cycling back there. We just had these neighborhood trails that you had to know where the next entrance was, but you could just get out there amongst, you know, the traffic was just there around the corner, but all of a sudden you found this pocket of adventure. And another thing you were talking about that I think is, is unique to gravel riding that is maybe shared with our mountain bike brethren is just this idea of like riding a section and then grouping up afterwards and wanting to high five people. Yeah. It's just, it's fun as a grown ass man, a grown ass woman <laughs> to giggle and high five your friends. Yeah. Well, I'm, I think that they're, the fact that this is not the norm, that like day to day joy and connection is not something that we've built into our, now we're, now we're getting way uh, uh, into the philosophical realm, but like, what is the point of all of this stuff that we're doing, right? We, you know, are we our jobs? Are we our families? Are we our, our, our gender, our race or something? Are we like something greater than that? And is there more to life than, um, I mean, of course, like there is the struggle and we are in a, uh, a privileged position to have the time and the resources to buy a machine like this and to be able to steal away. Um, I would like to see those types of experiences be accessible to more people because it really is like there's there's uh, there's being a, there's living and then there's like being alive and and that's where I think that these experiences come in. Yeah, it's important to remember. Yeah. So circling back off our philosophical yeah. bandwagon, but I mean, I, I think we it, this should resonate with listeners. Anybody who's ridden off road, I think when they really think about it, they're going to think and remember like it is really filling something inside them. So I guess going back to where we started with Gravel Bike 101, mm -hmm. one, get a gravel bike. It's going to be great for you. Yeah. When you're looking for a gravel bike, obviously price points are going to be a concern. Get into the sport where you can afford it. Yep. Go out there and ride it. We're, yep. not, we're not sitting here saying go buy expensive equipment. It's the only way to, to ride gravel no, no. by no means. Yeah. And I think gravel of any sector of the sport has shown that. It's like, welcome all comers. Yep. If you want to go out, ride trails, have a good time, smile, everybody's welcome in this sport. And we've, we've covered a lot of kind of the, you know, what to look for in equipment. One other one I think it's important to, to throw out there is gearing. Um, I'm a huge fan of one-by drivetrains, and I'm a big fan of having way more low-end than you think you need. So, like, a big old pie plate in the rear uh, so that, you know, when you hit that steep pitch, uh, you're going to be able to get up. Or when you get in over your head and you do that 60-mile group ride and you're completely kicked and you have that last pitch to get up, you can spin up it. Yeah, so for the listener, so what Randall's talking about, you've, you've generally got an option of two chain rings up front and a cassette in the back or one chain ring up yeah. front and a cassette in the back. And I grappled with this with my, my first two gravel bikes. And ultimately I originally decided on a two by setup because I was sort of 
swayed with this idea that, oh, on the road, I wasn't going to have the the nuances and the subtleties between the gears. Uh-huh. But after spending a couple of years in the sport, I was lusting after one by and I'm on my present thesis. I'm on a one by setup and I couldn't be happier because I don't I don't personally miss any of those subtleties that were purported to exist. Yeah. And you want like, you know, uh, just to throw out some numbers, like a 1042 in the rear, 1146 in the rear. And you can get all the range that you get with the two by with that big old cassette. Um, People will talk about the jumps, which is what you were alluding to. And yeah, the jumps are bigger. I mean, that's just math. But the fact is like a two by 11 um, is really like a 14 speed, right? A lot of the gears overlap. Uh, and so a one by 11 is not going to be twice as big of a jump. The second thing is that if you're fit properly to the bike with the you know right crank length proportional to your inseam and like you're able to spin smoothly because you're dialed to the machine, uh, you're, you're going to be fine at, you know, you know, in one gear or in the other in terms of changing the cadence. And then the last thing is on gravel. The terrain is changing so much that you generally be grabbing two or three gears anyways. And so, uh, you know, it, it actually makes that easier. Uh, the, the last thing here is just there's nothing to think about, right? If you think about, like, the experience that you want, the bike is not the center of the action. Like, it's, it's, you want the bike to disappear. And so if you're thinking about cross-chaining, you're thinking about chain drops and this other stuff, uh, that's just going to get in the way of you, you, you know, flowing in the environment. Yeah, I think as I was dabbling with one-by demo bikes, what I found right away was that it was just quieter, you know, with the clutched rear derailleur. Yeah. No, no chain or, or no uh, derailleur up front. The chain can be tighter. Everything seemed to just be quieter and and felt more together. Yeah, the I mean, you there are good two by drivetrains now with clutches, fortunately. And if you go electronic, it takes away some of the cross chain. You can have it auto uh, change the front and so on. But still, like, don't complicate things. Like one by is super simple. It just works. It's cheaper up front. It's cheaper to maintain. It's easier to maintain. Like just get a one by. And if you, if it's not the right gearing, you change a chain ring, like, you know, 50 bucks. Yeah. Uh, you can always dial it to what you need. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think this is all good stuff. Are there any kind of key takeaways that you would leave the listener with thinking, thinking from the mentality of, okay, someone considering jumping in the sport, they've learned a little bit from us today. What are the things you want them to walk away with? Um, I would say that um, I would I would target this this response to the people who are really like they're really interested in in not just adding gravel to their repertoire. They're already cyclists because, you know, those of us who are already cyclists, we're already getting, um, you know, our group rides or our, our adventure on the mountain bike or whatever. But, you know, especially for for the, the newbie, like this is this is an experience that's accessible um, find people in your community uh, who are organizing group rides, who can give you some guidance on on uh, where to ride and, and and equipment choices and so on. Um, and you know, don't be intimidated by uh, you know some of the terrain you go on. Go out and have adventures. Push yourself. Uh, connect with people, uh, and you will find, uh, as I have, and I think a lot of us have had, that this is really an experience that's part of a, a life well lived. Uh, it's you know, everything from, from, of course, the, the basics of like just being fit, uh, and, and feeling healthy, but more importantly, just mental health, right? You talk about, you know, being depressed when you don't ride, this is therapy. Like this is, this is a a way of, of, of self-care. Uh, so, you know, find the people who have, who've, uh, you know, learned how to get the most out of this and uh, get their their guidance on on how to join because it's a very accessible uh, style of cycling to get into. Yeah, and I think those are all great, great parting thoughts. And I would just add sort of, don't be afraid of gravel. We're not talking about bringing you to Crankworks up at Whistler and send you off, sending you off a, a 40 foot jump. Dirt roads have been ridden since the dawn of the bicycle time. And in its, you know, its simplest incarnation, you don't need anything special. You can ride a, a tiny road bike tire off-road and be enjoying yeah. gravel. Um, as we've talked about earlier, as, as you sort of make the right equipment choices and you develop the skills, you can go explore further and further. One of the things that I've personally enjoyed around here and, and I sort of encourage newer athletes is ride uphill off-road 
and ride downhill on the road. You don't have to do it all. You can, you can sort of go where your comfort level lies and you will get some of those rewards. In, in the Bay Area, that strategy is useful because descending even at a casual pace, you're going faster than most of the cars. Yeah. And you sort of forgive yourself needing to know a lot of the, the sort of technical skills to go downhill that you'll learn over time. Well, and, and the thing is, by simple virtue of having what we're calling a, a gravel bike, this, this marketing term of gravel bike, these all-purpose machines, um, just ride it how you want to ride it. Like that is, that is exactly the point. Like you can do all the things and, you know, get the bike, do some exploring, find out what your jam is and then do more of that. Uh, and you know, that, that's, uh, like, that's, what's beautiful about this is you can find, you can find your, your terrain, the stuff that you enjoy. And then the community around, uh, that type of riding, uh, that you can join up with, which is arguably one of the one of the best parts about this is the the people you meet along the way. Yeah, and I've you know I've obviously talked to a lot of event organizers on the podcast and I think almost uniformly they're looking at creating distances and um you know different categories yeah. of events yeah. so that you can do a 25 mile starter gravel event. Um, because these experiences, as Randall alluded to, in terms of the community, it's just it's great to travel to do these things because they're just fun days out. Whether you're doing the 25 mile version or the 100 mile version, you're all going to coalesce afterwards with a little bit of dirt on your bike and your body, yep. and you're going to enjoy a shared meal and maybe a beer yep. together. And it's just great to get out there and do. It's a uh, there's a term. Uh... There's a term that's been coined in the Bay Area. I, th I think it's attributable to Murphy Mack of the Super Pro series, but the idea of like a, a mullet ride, it's yeah. like business in the front, party in the yeah. back. Yeah. Uh, exactly. So like show up, you start, everyone starts together. It's a, it's a, it's a festival atmosphere. It's a party atmosphere. Um, and if you want to go out and race, go throw down. If you just want to like go and, you know, slog through, you know, 60 miles and feel that sense of accomplishment and meet people along the way, you, that experience is there too. And that's kind of the, the general vibe around this. It's not like, you know, winner take all crit racing on the weekends or something. This is like, let's go have an adventure together and enjoy each other's company. Yeah. No, that's perfect. I think those are great closing thoughts, Randall. Yeah. So I appreciate you having me over. I appreciate the conversation. I hope everybody listening is getting a little bit out of it. And at minimum, I guarantee they're getting your enthusiasm and my enthusiasm for the sport. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, if anyone is in the Bay Area, uh, you'll come join us for a ride and uh, I'll be around the country later this year. I would love to uh, ride with some of you folks. Right on. Thanks. All right. So thanks again to Randall from Thesis for the time and the conversation. As I mentioned in the intro, obviously calling out group rides and things like that is not something we're condoning at this point, but definitely Randall and I love to get groups of people together here in the Bay Area, as I'm sure many of you do around the country. So let's keep looking forward to better times and getting together soon. In the meantime, I forgot to mention all the great feedback I got about bringing on board a sponsor and advertisers to the podcast. I really appreciated the kind words and the thumbs up you guys were giving me to say, hey, it's okay if you want to offset some of your costs. We know you're a volunteer effectively in doing this. So thanks so much. I also did set up a Buy Me A Coffee account at buymeacoffee.com slash the gravel ride where you can simply buy me a cup of joe if you like what i'm doing so anyway guys stay safe stay healthy during this pandemic as always i appreciate your feedback feel free to shoot me a note at craig at the gravel ride dot bike or hit me up on facebook or instagram until next time here's to finding some dirt under your wheels